Apana acknowledges the custodians and elders past and present of the lands on which we work, practice, rehearse, perform and present across Australia. We pay respect to the cultural authority and traditions of the land. The First Peoples of this nation express their culture through music, dance and storytelling and it is a privilege to continue a tradition of storytelling and performance in this country. We acknowledge Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples as the first Australians and traditional custodians of the lands where we live, learn and work. You are listening to the Australian Performing Arts Teachers Association APADA podcast, where we share performing arts journeys and pathways to inspire performing arts teachers and their students, the next generation of creators, makers and educators. Here we go. Everybody and welcome to the APADA podcast season for 2023. Our first guest joining this year is Mr Jonathan Rice, who is Head of Performing Arts at Pulteney Grammar in South Australia. Pulteney Grammar School is a co-educational school and is one of the oldest schools in Australia dating back to 1847. Relatively small, but a team there that offers a broad liberal education experience in the performing arts. Jonathan has worked across performing arts education in Queensland, Victoria and South Australia, and his insights and the new programs he has ahead developing for Pulteney Grammar are very exciting. We hope you enjoy. Hello, Jonathan. Welcome to the APADA podcast. Hi, Landa, how are you? Good, thank you. And and great for you to join us today. Really looking forward to um, chatting through education and more about Pulteney and um, sharing your insights into the education system, which will be fantastic. What I'd like to do first today is really open up and talk about um, Pulteney Grammar School. Um, we know, um, and with our audience, that you were the Performing Arts School of the Year last year in regards to the APADA Awards. Um, but tell us more about your overview of program and team and, and how it all works at Pulteney. So a bit of context, Pulteney is an interesting school. It's called Pulteney Grammar School, and we started 175 years ago. We're in fact, we're the second oldest school in the country. But the reason it's interesting is because there is a street in Adelaide called Pulteney Street. So we're, we're an independent private school that's not named after a saint. Um, it's, it's a location. And I think that's really insignificant because in the very early days of Pulteney, it was about uh, providing a school for uh, children who are local to the CBD in the city. In the city. Uh, and that's how it started. So quite humble beginnings. It was very low fee. It was inclusive. Uh, it was co-educational, uh, which back in those days was quite significant. And from then, of course, it's grown and changed over the years and eventually became a boys' school. Um, in 100 years ago, 1922, the school moved to South Terrace, where it currently resides, into a larger site. Um, it's called Block 681, which on the title of Adelaide back in the day, it was divided up into little, little blocks, and we are on Block 681 by Colonel Light. Um, and it stayed there and in that same context for some time. And then in 1999, it returned to be co-educational. Uh, again, a very significant time in the history of the school. The school was struggling for numbers. It was in a place where it didn't, I think, in, in hindsight, it didn't know really what it wanted to be. It was confused about where it should fit in the scheme of schools in South Australia. So it decided to go back to co-education, which I think was a, a, a very important decision. I think it saved the school in lots of ways and allowed it to become what it is now. Today, we are about to have the, the largest numbers enrolled in the school in the school's history, um, which is 935. We are therefore not a large school. And that's one of our uh, value propositions. It's, it's important for us that we are not too big. Uh, about a thousand or just under is our absolute maximum. Uh, and we're gonna reach that in term three this year. Um, and the reason that's important is that we want to be a school that has a community where the kids are known. 
And we believe that in very large schools, that can be challenging when you have so many students in the school for all of those kids to be identified and understood individually. So for us, uh, we are a contemporary, uh, traditional, um, liberal, co-educational school in a private setting. Uh, but we also are deciding, I think, uh, what we are going to be good at. And as it's turned out, um, we are becoming very good in the sense of providing a broad opportunity for our students to be involved and engaged with uh, performing arts. And that's really exciting. So I guess from that point of view, we've had an interesting history. From a performing arts point of view, the schools had a lot to do with performing arts in the last 70, 80 years, but it's really only very recently that we've been able and had the opportunity to broaden our program. So recently we introduced dance for the first time, uh, and that has gone gangbusters. Um, I remember four years ago, four and a half years ago, I did a survey to parents and said, you know, is anyone interested in dance? Do any of the kids do much dance? Uh, and what I got back was a wave of information where it had so many students engaged in dance in private schools around this in the city uh, in all sorts of ways and because we were really interested about developing our music theater program dance obviously is really important in that context so we started the dance program and that has grown year on year and it continues to grow uh, in fact we've just had our second dance studio uh, just being completed uh, in the school so we have two dance studios now with sprung floors and mirrors and bars and uh, the program is going incredibly successfully, which is exciting. But I think that also speaks to our journey in performing arts. We are certainly becoming much more engaged in that space. I think, to be fair, a principal does say we are not a performing arts school. And, and that's not what we're trying to be. What we're trying to do, though, is to make opportunities where students can find their tribe, find their journey, uh, in performing arts through their schooling career, because we all know how the enormous benefits students can get from being exposed uh, and engaged in the performing arts in the way that they want to be involved, whether it be drama, dance or music or all three. So I think we're in a really exciting time in the school's history uh, where we have good numbers. We have uh, students now enrolling in the school who are already engaged in the performing arts so that we don't have to train them so much because they're already coming ready to go uh, and then we just take them to the next location and the next point in their journey so it's pretty exciting time to be at Pontney Grammar. Yeah absolutely what size um, team do you have there Jonathan? So the performing arts team I have um, uh, five music teachers uh, two drama teachers and one dance teacher so not huge uh, in addition to that we have about 22 instrumental music and individual drama teachers so all up about 33 of us in total um which is a good size it gives us a breadth of capacity um but in our in our core from the um fte of actual teachers it's not a big not a big group the population of our uh, performing arts classes is generally 10 to 15 percent of each year's cohort so in year 12 you'd have about 15 percent of them doing music as a subject and about 10 percent doing drama uh, and dance at the moment so and that that seems to be relatively stable i guess like a lot of schools like ours a lot of our parents are very ambitious for their children and have a preconceived idea of where they're going to be going when they leave uh, the secondary school setting whether it be medicine law or whatever it may be and often we struggle, um, like many schools, to allow students to do the subjects they really want to do at year 11 and 12, rather than what they uh, parents really want them to do. So we have a significant co-curricular program that allows those students who can't do the academic performing arts subjects, particularly in year 11 and 12, to do uh, substantial co-curricular programs that still supports their passion for performing arts and allows them an opportunity to be engaged with it although not in the academic sense at those year levels. So that's always been a, a, a challenge for many schools, I guess, where parents want them to do, you know, the, the maths and science that's been prepared for, for UMAT, for medicine, or whatever it may be. Um, but as long as we're providing opportunities in whatever space we can for those students to remain engaged with performing arts, then I think that's really important. Have you seen over um, your career, and, and, you know, I've noted that you, you've worked in Queensland, you've worked in Victoria, you're now in South Australia, um, especially with the co-extracurricular that you're just talking about, have you seen growth and uptake in that over your teaching career or has it stayed stable? What, what, what are your thoughts there? I think, um, I think generally speaking, it has grown. 
only because I think places like ours are offering a greater diversity of opportunity. Uh, we've talked recently, or last year, we talked about microcurricular program in particular, where we have um, things like, you know, a DJ school. We have a DJ class. We have podcasting classes. We have sound engineering in a, in a year nine subject that that also links to co-curricular in sound engineering. So the so what we're offering is broader rather than the traditional band, uh, choir, drama club. Um, and that's allowed more students to be engaged that perhaps might not have been in the past. So I think for us and for my experience, I think the growth has come in the diversity of what we offer, not necessarily um, more kids doing the band program or more kids being engaged in choirs, from my observation. Yeah, great. Tell us about your showcases. Now, the school puts on some incredible showcases throughout the year and they are big performances and um, just so beautifully directed and um, and um, artistic directed across all levels, including technical production, presentation, um, the whole works. Tell us about some of those fabulous showcases that I know the teaching team must work so hard on. <laughs> yeah, we, we had a fairly big program. Last year we did just under 90 public performances in the year across performing arts. And as you say, they, they have the full gamut of range. So we have um, a soiree series that we do four soirees a year, um, and they're very small, mostly very young uh, musicians and singers and actors in them. Um, it's in our chapel, so it's a very small environment, very comforting, very informal, um, just to allow those younger musicians and actors and dancers to come in and have a go at perhaps their first public performance as a soloist in front of a very friendly audience, right through to the, to the very large programs we offer. The, the big ticket ones, I guess, are things like our musicals. We do two musicals every year. One is the middle school, senior school musical, where it's about 75 kids in the cast, about 110 students involved in the production entirely. So about a quarter of the senior school and middle school. Um, and this year we're doing Jesus Christ Superstar, which we're really, really excited about. Uh, last year we did Bama Mia, which was fantastic fun. And the year before that we did Matilda. Uh, interestingly, we actually won the Theatre Association of South Australia Award for Matilda, which was really exciting because... Indeed, um, and, and congratulations. Hmm. Yeah, really exciting. I, I, it's, it's a very funny story, actually. I went to the awards night, which was delayed because of COVID. So they did 2020 and 2021 in one, one evening. And I went along with my director and my repetitor thinking we had no chance of winning because no school's ever won it before. And, and being a school, my philosophy on that production is that uh, if, you wanna, if you can't dance, can't sing, can't act, and you want to be on stage, you're on stage. We guarantee participation, um, which takes us out of the audition sphere. Um, so to winning that award was, was quite remarkable and, and really surprising. And the, and the, the school was thrilled, uh, as you can imagine. But also we do a year five, six musical. Uh, every year in term four again all the kids in year five and six are on stage during that musical uh, again to making sure that they're all engaged and and those students who are a little bit reluctant to do it and, and not really theater kids or music kids or drama kids still get a chance to participate learn some dances learn some songs learn some blocking on stage and be engaged um, other concerts are more traditional. Um, we have a winter concert, which is a, an event where the whole school comes together. We have two concerts in the one day, the, the junior school. We have a, a two-hour break where we had food vans and musicians out in the quadrangle of the school and the gardens. And then we have the winter concert in the evening with all the middle school and senior school students. So a huge diversity of, of things that we do. And I guess that's uh, we have to do that because we have such a broad program now um, that we need so many events to make sure that all those kids have opportunities to have a go and participate and be in that public performance space. So, yeah, a, a really broad program. But that's really um, pivotal because we, we can only do that with the appropriate resources. Uh, and as we know, putting on concerts um, when you're trying to do them really well become very expensive. Um, and the school has been really supportive about growing our, our budgets and our financial capacity to put on those events. Uh, and consequently, though, more and more students are being engaged. So the, the bang for buck, if you do it on a capital basis, we're doing really, really well um, when you have a huge number of the school being involved in those events. But, yeah, that is a, it is a broad um, range of activities. Um, which I think feeds us as, as educators, uh, keeps us engaged and interested um, and certainly challenged, uh, particularly the last couple of years. But hopefully this year we'll have a more even and, and less disrupted uh, year. 
It must be wonderful to watch. Um, and I love that guarantee that if, if you're in the program and you want on stage, you're on stage. And, and it's not about necessarily skill level, it's about full participation. And I absolutely love that. It must be wonderful to watch students who have stepped, I suppose, onto the stage and behind that uh, curtain for the first time, watching them grow and find their feet or their comfort zone. Yeah, it is, it is one of the joys of being a performing arts educator. I think, you know, becoming or going into a, as a teacher into that performing arts career path through schools is a joy. Um, I, I've, I've said it many times and, I, and I, can, I will always say I have the best job in the world because uh, they pay me to do all these wonderful things with kids um, and see them on their journeys and help them through their journey, whatever it may be, uh, is quite a privilege, actually. And um, I, my career has gone very, very quickly. Uh, I feel as I'm, as I'm getting older now, the end of my career, that time has just is whizzing by. Um, but really, what's driven that is that joy of being part of a young person's discovery through the performing arts, whether they be just a pure musician who stands behind a music stand and just plays their instrument, to those kids who discover that they can act. They can actually take on a character and become someone else and communicate that to an, to an audience is an absolute privilege, actually. Yeah, it's, it's, it's wonderful. I know when I visit schools, I, I walk away with that same inspired feeling because you're just watching their journey and their discovery and their learning and their stagecraft. And, and um, I think as you get further down into your career, you don't, you don't, you're a little bit disconnected from it because you're more into a rhythm and, and it, is a, it is a beautiful moment um, to be captured most definitely. And you get to see yeah. it every day. You're very lucky. I am. How do you go about engaging your students, Jonathan? So, you know, when you think about, you know, as you said, you've got a very broad program that you deliver, which is fantastic because it offers great diversity and more interest across um, the curriculum and co-curriculum and, and what students can tap into and, and discover a little bit more. What are some key things here about engaging students and creating those lesson plans and, and really keeping their interest and engagement? Yeah, it's an interesting, interesting thing. And I think we are, at a, again, a, a very interesting period of history because for the first time we've had students who are extremely digitally aware and have a capacity to access things that you and I, when, I, when we were young, could only dream about. So students now have access to the internet and all the power and knowledge and information that that has. So we have to, we have to change. We have to grow. We have to uh, follow and enable and interest and engage students um, in a way that does capture them. And that means we have to, to change. So one of the things that we've been working on for the last five years, in fact, the final piece of our puzzle happens this year, is particularly in the middle school program, is what do what can we do to communicate the, the knowledge and the information and the skills that we value, but in a way that students want to engage with that and want to be a part of it, particularly for those students who are not uh, instrumentalists or singers, through their primary years. So half of our year seven cohort every year is new to the school. It's a major in, in, um, influx of new students and they come from a very broad uh, disparate uh, range of schools. Many of them have virtually no performing arts education at all, which in 2022, 2023 is a staggering thing to say, but it is true. Um, so we need to make sure that we have a program, particularly in the middle school, I think, that is uh, engaging, interesting, challenging to those students in the context of what they have available to them. So we have changed the year seven, eight, nine program substantially. The first stage was actually changing year nine. So we introduced things like sound engineering, music theater as semester subjects where students can come along and just specialize as an elective subject that study rather than just picking musical drama. So now we have music, dance, drama, sound engineering, music theatre design. We have another one now called Ableton Live, where they're just getting stuck into digital music processes through Ableton. So the, the, we have a breadth of areas that students can engage with, even if they don't have or haven't had the opportunity to be engaged in performing arts in the past. Uh, year seven, we introduced the Integrated Performing Arts Programme. So all the students in year seven come to performing arts at the same time, twice a week. We have five teachers engaged. We have each student go through five six-week programs. So music, dance, drama, uh, Ableton, and um, sound engineering. 
and they go through those through the whole year. And then in term four, the whole cohort comes together and puts on a production for their parents. So they have to use all the skills that they've used and created and developed into this live performance. And they do two performances in the final week of the year, uh, one to some primary school students, a bit like a dress rehearsal, and then that evening to their parents. And for many of those kids, it's the first time they've ever been on stage doing something with a full stage and a uh, professional lights and sounds and the whole shooting match. Um, and that's how we try to be relevant and interesting and allow students to find their jam, to find their, what really uh, interests them. And the final stage of that uh, five-year process happens this year, which is year eight. So the year eight program has always been traditionally music and drama. That's it. That's all they do. Uh, but we want to integrate the others. So now they have uh, 10 subjects, which they can choose two of per semester. So they can do over a year, two music, two drama, two dance, but they can also do set design and construction, uh, and they can do digital, digital music. So we're trying to, again, really drag forward the idea of elective choice from year nine to year eight. So some of those students who are really musically able will do two subjects of music this year. But they could also do set design. They could do digital music. They could do dance in a way that just gives them opportunity to, to have a, a bit more of a taste and a look at different things before they go to year nine and then before they go to the senior school. Obviously, if students don't do any performing arts in year nine, they're very unlikely to do it in the rest of their school career. So it's really important that we provide opportunities for students to see a lot about what performing arts is about, not just about music, dance and drama, but other technical areas of performing arts that appeals to certain types of students uh, before they get to year 10. So hopefully capturing more of those students uh, involved in that. I mean, another part of that also is the digital music path, of course. We, we, we've had in the past, students could only do year 12 music if they basically played an instrument and can read and write music. Well, that's ridiculous. That that's that's terribly old-fashioned, and we need to be much more open about that. The creative life of music is not just about minims and crotchets and a flute. Uh, so we have, for the first time this year, in fact, the Year Twelve student who's doing Year Twelve music, uh, Max, uh, who is doing entirely in Ableton. He doesn't know what a crotchet and minim is, but he he writes fantastic music in that space. Now, there are some issues with the connectivity of his knowledge. Uh, and the SACE music program, which we have to work through and support him, and we will do that. But he is, is completely possible that he could get a, an A plus and a merit for year 12 music and not know what a crotchet is, because the what he does is creatively valuable and worthy. So that's really exciting. So we are trying to create other pathways for students through their journey um, to meet what they want to do, but also to make sure that we connect that with the academic outcomes that schools and the Australian Certificate of Education require. Oh, just wonderful to hear that that way of thinking, Jonathan. And um, I couldn't I couldn't agree with you more that. Um, to engage that interest and in where they want to go in their journey. And we're in a very quick-paced digital world these days. Um, and as you said, quite often they're, they're coming in and they're across a lot of, of that uh, technique and that's what they want to major in and go further. And it's really great to hear aspects like set design and, you know, the technical production elements um, which extend, you know, beyond and into the whole of performing arts and all the different roles that you can do. And, and to have that introduced um, early on in your life, I think is really, you know, a great thing for you to follow those paths. So that's really good. What do you think some of the biggest challenges here are? And, and one of those, um, I think you've just said where, um, you know, what the curriculum is and, and finding that bridge between the two to, to move into it. What do you think some of the big challenges are here in performing arts education and how do we meet them? I think the obvious challenge is that while we are in performing arts diversifying, so is everyone else. So mm -hmm. other, other faculty areas in the schools are realising that they're going to have to diversify and uh, broaden their opportunities for students to be engaged. So we're competing, I guess, for those, those same students to be engaged with our program. So I think in that space, and when you combine that with the digital world that you said that our students are connected to, uh, it's, it's about providing things that students will see and react and respond to 
in our educational setting that they can't get in the digital space. So one of those things is people. We So our connections with each other as individuals and as people and groups of people in the school become really, really important. Our relationships with our students become really, really important. And I think as a, particularly in performing arts, I think we have a, a an opportunity but also a privilege to have relationships with our students that perhaps other faculty areas have always struggled with. Um, I think, you know, not to be too um, uh, singular about it, but I think sometimes in the maths and science areas, some of the connections between individuals are not the same as the connections that we have in performing arts. And I think that's our advantage um, and that we need to exploit that. So I think it's really important. And I was thinking about earlier too about you know, what, what's important to becoming a music educator or performing arts educator in schools. And I think one of them is about relationships and people. The idea that you, you, you are, as a, as a leader and an educator, there to help students make connections with themselves and others, either individually or in groups. The same thing that we do in bands and choirs all the time. We just do it because that's what we do. But actual fact, what's going on is quite sophisticated and it's allowing students to grow in their relationships with other human beings in different ways. And we have an advantage in forming arts, but we do need to exploit that. We need to have an awareness of it so that we are genuinely um, creating and, and somewhat curating opportunities for students to be engaged with other people. I think I was talking to the principal the other day at, at our conference um, and we're talking about... Um, the chat GPT and the digital AI setting, I think it's a fantastic opportunity. I know some states are banning it. I, I think that's ridiculous. I think we need to embrace it and think about, well, if that's going to happen, what, what can we do? We should use these tools the same way we use calculators. When I was, I was at high school, uh, I was went overseas as a kid, came back with a calculator, and my teacher wouldn't, uh, wouldn't let me use it, of course, because they wanted to yeah. So but over time, of course, that's changed. Now we have scientific calculators. The kids use them all the time. Why wouldn't you? And chat GPT is the same. But we have to change, therefore, uh, what are our, our plans and how are we going to assess and achieve outcomes that are measurable so that the learning outcomes are still valuable? Um, and I think that's part of our challenge. But for us, as I said before, I think the relationships and, and the people thing that we do is so, so important. And I was saying to the principal the other day, as I mentioned, that the, the thing that we've learned about and through COVID was that some of the things that we do in education, particularly in performing arts, you cannot do any other way than having people in a room together. You need that human um, community in the same room, to talking together, working together to have the outcomes that we know. So I'm not fearful of uh, education going through a significant revolution of how we do it because I know that for performing arts, we have to be in the room together. We, we, to do that digitally does not work the same way. You can have all the fancy, you know, production side and, and having choirs spread throughout the world. And that's wonderful. But that's not the same as having 20 people in a room together working with a piece of music or, or a, a, a play. And I think that's really reaffirming and reassuring that, that we're not going to be um, uh, made secondary to any educational process. It's really important that we're there. Yeah, ab absolutely. What would be your highlight of 2022? Gee, it's interesting. Um, I was talking to a colleague uh, at the end of last year, and for the uh, I know I'm getting older, but for the first time in my career, I'd actually run out of steam. I got to the end of the year, and I was done. And I think that was because it was such a disrupted, um, challenging year in so many ways that I just found um, it exhausting. We, we had so many staff rolling away, students, you know, on COVID, off and on. The obvious disruption at the beginning of the year where we were, we were doing digital education for the first four weeks. So none of our music programs begun until week five. Um, and all the relationships that we normally have beginning at the beginning of the year didn't start. So that was a real negative to the whole process of what we do. So I think surviving 2022 for me personally was a, was a great, great outcome because it was a very challenging year. Um, and I think we're now seeing that change where we're having serious issues with staffing, getting the right people in the right place, doing the right thing. I think that's going to be a challenge for the next few years um, coming. Um, so I guess for me, the fact that we achieved all that we did in 2022 with our students against that background of disruption was fantastic. Um, I know the, the year 12 cohort that finished had a very strange senior school life um, and many of them were very 
challenged about it and feel somewhat let down. They feel they missed out a bit. Uh, and I completely understand that. But I think for them also, um, it, being so disrupted, they found challenges um, that they didn't think were coming. They didn't ever realize what was going to happen and the the negative experience that that gave them the chance to overcome while they did overcome it was at a, at a cost and i think that cost was quite significant actually so i think yeah i think it sounds uh, a bit trite but i think coming through that year and getting through the end of it uh, was a big thing for us and we did everything that we wanted to do um although it was somewhat um under much more pressure than, than normally. So yeah, surviving 2022, I'm very happy to see the back of it. What's your, what's your, what's your aim for 2023? What's your one thing or two things? Normalcy. I'd like it to be normal. I'd like it to have less people who are sick, less people who think they might be sick, less people being away and feeling the pressure of being away and then trying to come back. So I'm hoping it's to be a very normal year. And I think there'll be many people around the country and the world feeling the same. But we also have really some fantastic opportunities and, and changes coming up that we're really excited about. So I just want to really see those programs uh, roll out because I know that kids are going to love it um, and be challenged by it. Um, and if we can get those things up and running, then who knows where we'll be in 2024. I'm really excited. Yeah, absolutely. Onwards and upwards, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Let's, let's talk about you, Jonathan, because you've had, you know, an, an amazing career and um, and heavily focused on um, um, education and worked for and managed a jazz club. But the first thing I want to start with is do you still play the trumpet? Yeah, I do. Oh, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, yeah, I do. I, <laughs> My, my One of my things that I'm, I'm desperately trying to make sure this year is I actually practice as well because <laughs> so I, I tend to play and not do any practice, but I'm really ambitious to, to get back and just do regular practice on my instrument in a room by myself. So that's one of my ambitions. Uh, but, yeah, I do still play. I play in a, in a big band and, I, of course, play at school a lot just to demonstrate the kids and, and show them that I'm still a musician. I think that's really important that you have they see you uh, play and be engaged with an instrument and in the musical uh, setting but yeah so I, I still play I don't play as much as I want to but I am been, I will practice more this year I will yeah and I promise excellent well, well maybe we can we can have a uh, have a little show and tell uh, show and <laughs> maybe at the end of the year and see how you've gone yeah thinking back when did you first pick up the trumpet so your journey from from you know, what I've read in conversations, it started for you with this attraction to the trumpet and you've played in orchestras um, and it's still with you today, which is which is wonderful. Yeah, so I, I my favourite instrument actually is cello. I, yeah. I always wanted to play the cello. Um, I don't know why. I, I saw it and I was at primary school. I thought, what a, an amazing instrument that is. And I tried to play that. In fact, there was a primary school program where you would go along and you would test. And if you tested high enough, you could get an instrument. I did that and failed that test. And then a year later, I got to high school in year seven and went to the music classes. We all had to go. Um, and the school was, um, I, I must share, is Elizabeth West High School. Now, I'm not sure if you're aware of Adelaide, but Elizabeth West uh, was a very tough area, particularly in the 70s. Um, extremely tough, I think, to say, be honest with you. And I'm at the school and the teacher said, I've got some instruments. Who wants to learn an instrument? I put my hand up. Of course, I want to learn an instrument. Why not? I said, oh, I've got a trumpet. Is that OK? Sure. So I just took it because that was available. And then uh, I got lessons through the education department, uh, state system. And mostly it was a year 12 student actually who took me under his wing and showed me how to play it and gave me lessons in between lessons because the teachers often didn't turn up and things like that. Um, and then I, I got to a point pretty quickly where I could play pretty well. So um, one of the teachers said there's a scholarship opportunity. There's a brand new system in Adelaide called Special Music Schools. Um, and they're creating these high schools where kids can go and do more music than they normally would. Um, so I auditioned. Uh, parents supported me in that audition and I got in. So I went to a school called Woolville High School, um, which was the, the newest special music school in the state. There was Brighton High, Maryville High and Woolville High. I wanted to go to, to Brighton. Um, but they put you where you where you went. So I went to Woodville High. And even though it was still a very multicultural and challenging high school, in comparison to where I've come from, it was Nirvana. I couldn't believe schools like this existed. Uh, I had a beautiful music facility and I had 
I could all this, all these rehearsals and, and bands and choirs. I, I couldn't believe it. Um, and other, and other musicians, other trumpet players. So I stayed there until year 12 and then went to, um, to do a music degree. Um, and I never really thought about it. It just, it just, that's what I was always going to do. I, I love playing the trumpet. So I wanted to keep playing the trumpet. Uh, I got into the state youth orchestra at a very young age um, and enjoyed playing in that setting. In fact, um, I still am a, an orchestral classical musician to my heart, even though I played more jazz than anything else. But, um, and then got into the university and did my uh, undergraduate in music at SACAE, South Australian College of Advanced Education, which was actually on the same campus as other University and eventually Big Day joined together. Um, and that was fantastic. I had some amazing teachers there, Bob Hower, a band director um, and educator extraordinaire, um, Steve Whittington, Hal Hall, some amazing teachers that just, um, showed me a world that I, I never thought existed, uh, even to that point. Uh, then I did post-grad um, and then went fell into teaching. I only did teaching because I was sick of Adelaide, wanted to get of Adelaide and had something different in my life. And I took up a job in Cairns. Uh, I thought that'd be an adventure. So I took off and went to Cairns to start teaching and and have been teaching ever since, basically. So, yeah. Um, yeah I've, I've, I've noticed that you worked across the three states, so uh, Queensland up to Cairns, and that 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 might have uh, that's quite a big change. And as you said, off I went, and let's give that a go. Um, Victoria um, in Ballarat um, with Clarendon College um, there on Sturt Street, which I'm very familiar yep. with myself, and yeah. then um, across to um, across to um, um, Adelaide. Mm. Did you notice in your education journey? big differences between the states or varying challenges or was it yeah, similar? They, yeah, they're all quite different. So it's in a year in Cairns and a year in Brisbane. And even though they're a long way apart, the, the, the state system that I was engaged in was actually very similar um, and, and substantial. So I, I was really, I was a little bit surprised how big the programs were in those schools. This is the early 80s. Um, and then when I moved to uh, Victoria at the beginning of 2000s, um, the way that we did it there was very different to Adelaide. So I had, in, in that school, I had a head of brass, head of woodwind, head of strings, head of voice. I was the head of director of music. And I had 1,100 kids in the school delivering 1,200 one-to-one lessons a week in the instrumental program. So it was a very substantial program. And that wasn't uh, like most schools in Adelaide. So I was surprised at, at, at the scale uh, of them. And I think even to this day, there's big schools in the Eastern states that have these massive programs that are really impressive and, and, and facilities to match. Adelaide doesn't quite do it like that. We have, I think, uh, since I was a school, had a significant change away from the state school system into the private system. So unfortunately now for some people, if you want a really good music education in South Australia, you probably have to go to a private school. The state system has gradually changed uh, and diminished uh, and it doesn't do what it used to do 30, 40 years ago. It's still there, um, but it, it's so reliant on, on what school you go to, what resources are available to those students. So unfortunately that change has happened. Um, and the Catholic system and the independent system has taken over effectively that performing arts background. So if, if you have a student that really wants to do performing arts, they probably have to go to a private school unless you're lucky enough to be in a state school that happens to have it doing it well. So, yeah, there has been changes between the three states. Um, but I think I, I think now that what, I, what I've seen in the last sort of 10, 12 years, I think that has evened out. It's just the scale of the school. Adelaide is starting to develop bigger schools. Um, you know, Pembroke uh, School down the road are really successful. It's now about 1,700 students. Uh, we have some super high schools coming on with two or 3,000 students. Uh, I'm not a huge fan of that. I, I, I much like prefer smaller communities where we have a better chance of getting to know most of the kids. I, I probably know half the school kids in the school by name. Uh, and I don't teach much. So I think there's a real advantage to that. But nonetheless, I think there, there has been some change over the years, particularly in South Australia, for, as I say, from that more broad state system to now a more private system uh, for, for performing arts in particular. Yeah, it, there's definitely been quite some, some um, shift and transition, as you said, over the last 20 or 30 years. And 
And it's interesting, like, I, you know, friends of mine that have children, I always say that it's really important that you go to the school, you go to the open days and see as a student where you fit, what is your fit and what you want to do. Um, I think that's a really important part of the journey in order for you to set your own foundations and, and, um, and that cultural fit is really important. What yep. about um, uh, curriculum? Did you notice much difference between curriculums between the states like is it is it really broad or pretty on par with each other or were you a few few gaps or no I think I think by and large they're very similar um yeah. the emphasis and the way that they do senior school is obviously different I mean the CAT system in Victoria for example versus our SAFE system is different and I think they are going through a period of change I I, I have struggled with over many years the South Australian certificate of education the SAFE that students get in year 11 and 12. I've struggled with it because I find and feel that there has been a, a gradual weakening of it I, I hate the word, but dumbing down. Um, and I think that's a great shame. And I think we there that's concerned me. But there is some change going on at the moment, which is going to value students' engagement at school more than just the academic outcome. And I think that's a really positive thing. Um, but nonetheless, I still I still am concerned about the reduction of rigor uh, at senior school. Um, because I, I, I think we, the system often underestimates its students and, and lowers the common denominator. And I think that's a great shame. Um, I, I am concerned about that. Uh, and, and, and even in the SACE program here in South Australia, with music in particular, uh, you know, students can now do uh, musicianship at year 12 and take a cheat sheet in with them like you do for a math exam. I have a problem with that. I, you know, I think it's about what students have learned and then they apply their learnings. Um, so, yeah, I think there's some challenges. I think by and large they're all similar, but I, I am um, excited about some of the recent change in the senior school programs across the country and the valuing they have of students beyond the academic world. Um, and I think that's really positive. Mm, yeah, no, very good to hear. Well, last year, um, uh, Pulteney Grammar took the um, Performing Arts School of the Year of the APADA National Awards, and we thank you for your application, but more important, congratulations. And um, it was just wonderful um, to see the assembly. And, and as you said, it, you had everything on show. There was, you know, the orchestra that was playing and the kids doing the band. Then we had, you know, full tap and dance on the stage and, um, and the drum line, Jonathan. The drum line was just absolutely beautiful. What a welcome and what a close. And, and I'm all into big, big openings that you can remember and, 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 yeah. um, and closing, which is really important. And it was just such a, a wonderful presentation. And, and congratulations to everyone. Your application was, um, you know, as we've heard today, so full of heart and, and full of moving forward and such a drive. And it was great. Thank you. Looking at... Um, at the awards, one of the things that struck me is is what I loved in your application is, and we'll, we'll hear it from you yourself, what are the must-haves as a teacher working in performing arts to encourage young people? What, what are your must-haves or what do you see when you're bringing on teachers that you're looking for um, as part of your team and your culture? Yeah, it's a really interesting area. I think uh, we recently employed a new drama teacher in the school and I, I went along to watch him teach. We asked him to teach a, a year 11 English class, actually. And we gave him a very small instruction about what he could do, what the kids have been doing, been doing recently. You just create a lesson and deliver that lesson to us. And what he demonstrated is what I'm looking for in, in all my staff. There was a passion for education. Clearly, he loved the idea of teaching kids. That was evident immediately. From the first few words he spoke, he was passionate about what he was doing. And in that passion, there was clearly a, a connection that he wanted to make with the kids who were in front of him. So he loves young people. That, that interests him, that challenges him, that engages him directly. The second thing, I think, was all the other things that we take for granted, but many people don't have. And what I value is energy, enthusiasm, ambition. For, for our students and a resilience. The resilience is harder to see in the short term. There's no doubt about that. But over a period of time, you do see how pulling us educators need to be really resilient. 
um, not just from a point of view of their own self-development, but resilient in the sense of helping students through their journey. Because we all know that students will go up and down through their own journeys uh, and doubts, have doubts about what they're doing. And, and, and we need to be resilient with them to make sure that they have the opportunities to get the outcomes that they really value. So I think they're the sort of things I look for in a teacher. Um, and it's not, I don't want them all to be the same. I, I think I really, really love diversity in my team. Um, and we have a very diverse group. We're not all the same. We're all similar. You know, we all have music degrees, education degrees, and gone through our journeys through the performing arts, but we're also very different. And that difference, that divergence is a strength uh, in my faculty. So I don't want to employ everyone the same. I, I, in fact, look for difference. But underneath all of that, some of the commonalities are that passion for education and, and passion for young people and to make connections with people. Uh, but the energy, enthusiasm, ambition and resilience, I think, is really important. Mm, absolutely. It's, um, and, and we need that drive um, for performing arts. I, I constantly say that our supply chain for industry or audience or whatever those things are starts with the foundation of, of schools. And, and it might be that not every child who's in music or um, doing drama is going to be professionally on the stage or work in the industry, but they are a future audience member where they will fall in love and passion with the arts and that will continue in their life in another way. Um, and it's also that foundation diversity in um, what they learn and what they are exposed to that might head them off into a career in performing arts in an area that they, you know, weren't aware of before and, and it moves forward and it sits at the yeah. heart of our supply chain to feed into professional but feed into the longevity of, of what we all love as well. Very important. Yeah. How do you think or how do you go about influence decision-making to ensure the ongoing success of performing arts education? I think that's really important then and I don't think people are fully aware of how much teachers in performing arts are constantly advocating and working towards keeping and growing their programs. Yeah, it's an interesting area. I mean, I, even my own personal journey a few years ago now, quite a few years ago, a friend of mine gave me a book uh, called um, Good to Great by Jim Collins. It's about 20 years old, 22 years old now. And I, I wasn't aware of him. And he, he gave me this book and I read it and I just was blown away buy it uh, and I had been in and out of businesses as well through those years so I decided to do my MBA um, and, and the reason I did that was because you don't know what you don't know and I knew I didn't know stuff I didn't know what it was so doing the MBA for me was a real opportunity to understand areas and aspects of business that I, I had inklings about and some idea about but I didn't have the depth of knowledge that has now allowed me to make decisions much more carefully and strategically um, and specifically for what I need. So I think the, the idea that, and I think we all see it, where performing arts educators often have to be um, really strategic um, in, in the way they go about their thing, but also have a direction. And I don't think strategy and direction are the same thing. But I think that idea that performing arts educators need to be able to sell their vision, their dreams, their ambitions um, to all sorts of people, whether it be uh, business directors in schools, the principals, to deputy principals of curriculum, to parents, to their own staff, to others, to bring them along that journey so that those people have all the aspects that they're required to make the outcomes possible. Um, and I think that's really, really important. Uh, we, in, in the local association here, the Ahomings, the heads of, of music and independent schools, one of the things that comes up often is supporting other younger uh, leaders in working out how are they going to um, get the resources and the facilities that are required for their programs to, to flourish. And that idea of strategy and direction is so important. Uh, quite a few times I've had the opportunity to, to work with uh, heads of music in different schools and just sit down with them for a day and talk through what they have done, what do they want to do and how are they going to get there? Um, and it is strategic. They're sitting down about well, what, could, what could be their strategic plan, but equally important, what is their strategic direction? The, the idea behind planning and direction, I think, is very different. Planning is having this goal. It's going to be three or five years. You're going to do these things along, along the way. And that's how you're going to do it. But I think in a school environment, we need to have 
equally a strong direction. And I think the idea of direction means that there is possible change. You, you may have to modify and adjust what you're doing along the way. Have a general direction where you're going, absolutely critical, but also be understanding that that may have to change for all sorts of reasons. We, we have a year three string program, immersion program starting this year. So all the year threes will learn violin, viola or cello um, for the whole year as part of their uh, performing arts program. I've been wanting to do that for years, uh, but I couldn't, I didn't have the right people. Yet, so you have to have a, a plan uh, and a direction. And when they come together is when you can actually apply it. So we're for the first time, we're doing a string program, an immersion program in year three, only because I had to have the two people to make that program work. And I have both now in, the, in my program and we can now implement that, that, that plan. So I think it's about uh, having an awareness of your strategic plan and your directions and then uh being diligent and <laughs> resilient and dogmatic and determined uh, to get what you want because you know it's best for the school and for your students. Oh, Jonathan, it has just been an absolute pleasure to um, talk with you this morning and thank you so much for your time and your generosity and, and sharing with us, um, you know, all your information and, and the journey so far. We wish you well in 2023 and we certainly uh, look forward to um, following that journey and watching, as you say, a more balanced, normal and hopefully thoroughly enjoyable year at Holtney Grammar. And again, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, Lana. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for all that you do in Aparta. It's such a joy to have an organisation in the background that we can tap into for, for support and guidance and, and learnings as well. So thank you so much. Really appreciate it. For those of our listeners who wish to learn more about Jonathan and, and the drive at Pulteney Grammar as part of the Performing Arts um, faculty, please jump onto the website and you'll find them at www.pulteney.sa.edu.au. Thank you for listening.